it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the characters, details, places, planets, stuff from that galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac, I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my fellow, fellow Battle of Endor historian, <laughs> Ross. You really pulled that one out. It's good to see you, Mac. Uh, really happy to be here. Uh, I really like how you just you improv that every time. It's always a little different uh, the way the, the way you do it, and I like it. I like it a lot. Keeps I really it appreciate it. No, it's fun. I like to. It's how I get my energy up before we start. Is just listen to you. You know, I never know what you're going to say. I just try to vamp to get the crowd warmed up. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. You uh, you got a very promising future as an announcer on a game show. Maybe one I day. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous prizes. I think you do great. I honestly, I think I, you would. I don't think there's as much work for that, but you know, maybe I'll poke around, see what one do. day, one day. Yeah, you know, and you could do the work all from here. Maybe nothing's being recorded live. I assume that's true. That'd be fun to just. <laughs> What's like, in front of a live studio audience these days? Anything? I can't imagine much. I mean. Like talk shows, but those sure, are those aren't sure. right now. No, 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 no. Maybe the new Lego Ho- Star Wars holiday special will be in front of a live studio I'm audience. I'm so excited for that. It's I know we've so never cool. been closer. It's so close. Oh my god, holiday is upon us. But before we get to the season of giving, let's just talk about what we're talking about tonight. So we're gonna go into um, we're, we're experimenting with light theming of our shows. So we're gonna talk about stuff that involved the Battle Vendor. We're gonna talk about the Death Star two. We're going to be talking about Crix Maidine. Yep. Did I say it right? You did. You nailed it. And also, we are going to talk about Bothans. Oh, yes, we are. And they are flush with information about Bothans. I got Bothans facts for days. I don't really. There's not a lot of information on them. At least not in canon. (laughs) And we try to stick to canon on these shores, so... But uh, we'll talk about it. We will. And we're going to do that right after this. from episode seven the original death star the (laughs) ultimate weapon that was developed during the prequels (laughs) and we remember that we have star killer base which is look how big it is compared to the original death star but missing from that little chart is the death star 2 the middle-sized evil super weapon the uh partially completed but fully operational one might call it again the Goldilocks. It's it's able to Just do everything the first one is. Right. It's bigger, but yeah. it's also more skeletal, mm-hmm. giving mm-hmm. it a more interesting appeal. And boy, that is the image your mind goes to. I think when you think Death Star, isn't it? I think yeah. of I most certainly think of the second Death Star, the Death Star Two, the DS Two. You know, it's been called all of these things. Um, 
I, I don't know. I guess I do. People generally think of the first Death Star. Is that where their mind? I mean, what I would you say? Ge- I think it's a generational. Thing. Yeah, I think sure. since we kind of grew up in the the quote unquote dark times, yeah. I think it makes sense that we latch on to the last image of the Death Star we have. Whereas yeah. if you were a kid from seventy seven, I'm assuming you're very fixated on the first image of the yeah. Death Star you saw. Makes sense. Okay. Well, uh, the reason we're talking about this Death Star, uh, I don't know why, Mac. It was your topic idea. Anything well, in particular that made you want to talk Death Star too? Well, we've been talking about like trying to give a little, a little bit more connective sure, tissue between sure. our stuff. So, kind of everything we're talking about is all based around like sort of Battle of Endor sort of topics, like the, the kind of beginning of Return of the Jedi. And what's one of the first things we see is oh no, there's a new Death Star, and it actually looks more evil because it's half complete. It's this skeletal husk of a Death Star, and it's kind of hard again to see in the movie, but it's like three times as large as the original Death Star. It is massive. That's big. It's huge. That's big. That's like, so, okay, if the first Death Star was a moon. Yeah. Moon-sized. Yeah. What would you say? I mean, Starkiller Base is planet-sized. What's in between a moon and a planet? Planetoid. Or dwarf planet. Like oh, Pluto is now. Okay, okay, okay. So this so is the dwarf planet of Death Star. It's a dwarf planet, yeah. Okay. I think that's a way of putting it. Okay, <laughs> that's a way of putting it, yes. I mean, yes, it is. That's, yes. So the cool thing about the Death Tell Star Tell me about is, it. So I can't imagine it was like an 83, but like you start by seeing that, okay, there's another Death Star. They, they're they doing it it's again. It's the very first thing you see. Yes. Literally. So just like how we're not hiding that ghost Palpatine, that, that resurrected oh, Palpatine God, episode yeah. nine, we're not hiding Death Star 2 here in this uh, final film in the trilogy either. No. Right away. And it's good because it is a very invocative image. Even though it's a skeletal version of it, we're very familiar with that mm-hmm. that radar mm-hmm. dish, the, you know, that's the where the super laser mm-hmm. is. Like we recognize instantly, like, oh no, it's another one. Oh my god. And and we're maybe slightly less afraid of it because like, okay, it's it's not complete. It's got this real jagged edge to the side of it. Now, when you see that image for the first time, do you assume that it is a incomplete Death Star? Or do you think, oh, this is a damaged Death Star. This is a Ooh. reconstructed Death Star. You know, how oh, do you, man. I mean. Just I, imagine our current social media stuff yeah. and you got to see that and they're like, oh, what's with the side of it? Is it, is it, un- is it non-finished? Is it, is it, maybe someone blew it up. Maybe like the, maybe, yeah. maybe they rebuilt out of the scraps yeah. of the first one. Like, yeah. I mean, that would only last for like 30 seconds until Vader gets off the shuttle and lets you know that this is a new Death Star that they're building. Right, because we have Animal Jihadi <laughs> who's there and it's just like, oh, Lord Vader, so good to see you. Everything's um, going quite well. Um you know, we, we're trying real hard to meet those deadlines. They're a little unrealistic, but I think yeah. we can, can, can. But, I mean, it's... I'm going to be honest with you, Veda. It's really, really hard getting this thing done. Uh, all the independent contractors we have to wrangle, all the Wookiees working in the lower levels. It's tough. The oh. budget is up over a trillion credits. We just can't keep up. Oh, I understand that. Well, you can tell that to the Emperor when he arrives. <laughs> what? I'm sorry, what? Here? He, he's coming Here. Oh, yeah. Uh, He'll oh, be here within a week. I, I, I'll I guess we'll double our efforts. Efforts. Go get the pain sticks. We need to motivate people. <laughs> <laughs> All over time, available. Anybody who wants it, except you're in. And, and the slaves, you're going to be working double time. 
Well, yeah. I don't even know where we're going to create more hours, but you're going to work those two. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, rest periods. What if we just juice you? Just get a syringe right in your neck and just then you won't sleep. Sure, you'll die in a month, but the important but thing. But don't we, worry. When it's finished, you can rest. Which is, I think this is where a lot of the jokes come from. Like yeah. Empire Stardom, but I think this is where a lot of the jokes of Vader being the worst daytime manager of all time comes from. Because <laughs> what a passive aggressive thing to say. Like, oh, I see you're working really hard. Well, my boss, you know, regional manager's coming. So what do you think about that? That, oh, uh, I better work even harder. Oh, so you could work harder, huh? Mm. Oh, so you're holding back on me. Oh, Lord Vader comes and like, we're not throwing out the red carpet, but oh, the big boss is coming. I guess we'll actually do our jobs. Really lucky he didn't get force choke there. Yeah, well, I, I think by that, like, you know, Vader's like, oh, I have a son. I should be more responsible. You know, when yeah. you have a kid, your whole framework changes. Yeah. <laughs> you start thinking like, hey, yeah. you know, the guy who's my mentor since I was nine. I think I want to kill that that SOB. Just yeah. it'd be cool. Like we'd have a catch and rule yeah. the galaxy. That's what I want to do with my son. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? They could raise pods together. And so Vader takes up residence on the Death Star 2 to basically oversee the end of the construction and prepare it for the Emperor's mm -hmm. arrival, which makes me assume he grabs some contractors right after that and they go finish the throne room, which I'm assuming is lower on the detail list of things we have to finish. But up on the North Pole, we have this beautiful four-way observation tower mm -hmm. which is where we're going to spend two-thirds of our movie runtime here is just going to be hang well during the last two-thirds of the movie we're going to be hanging out in this emperor's chamber yeah a fair amount we'll spend a good bit of time here um it's i mean the biggest feature of the death star too it's the place where we spend not only so much well, of the movie but it's the most time we spend in a singular area inside either of the death stars well the cool thing about filmmaking is you spend so much time in the Death Star in New Hope. Mm -hmm. They barely have to show you anything. You you know what when Vader walks out of that landing bay and goes down a corridor, you know what those corridors look like. Mm -hmm. You saw them in episode four. Mm -hmm. If he goes up a turbo lift, you know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. You don't have to question it. So really, we only have two sets. We've got. The mostly a matte painting that is yeah. the um, the landing bay, yeah. which we use twice when Vader arrives, when the Emperor arrives. Yep. And then we have the Emperor's throne room, and that's it. Everything else is like when we fire the Death Star laser blow up like the Mon Cal ship. That's all recycled footage from the first movie. Mm -hmm. There's nothing new to see there. And that's pretty cool and efficient filmmaking because... Again, that place holds such a thing in your audience's mind. You don't have to re-explain it. You don't have to re-show it. When those four lights turn on in the the door inside the Emperor's room, you're like, oh, it's the turbo lift. I know what those are. I know what those look like. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's pretty efficient. What we see that's new, what we spend most of our time getting used to is, again, seeing that jagged edge and assuming that from that scene in the beginning of the movie like yeah this thing's unfinished so when we're hearing during the rebel briefing of like it's incomplete and if we knock out the shield generator it's going to be a pushover because it's it's not a functional battle station but yep. if they finish it before we take it out we're toast they they put a grate over that thermal exhaust port that's not going to work twice <laughs> they won't fall for it again no and uh hey it has a giant super convenient hole we can fly in and out of right now 
So well, let's take advantage of it. And that's what's kind of cool is it is based on the Emperor's hubris because it is unfinished. There is a lot of ways. Like, they didn't have a shot at getting into the power core and breaking it. Yeah. That wasn't an option. It's not a great option in this movie, but it's an option. you got to fly real smooth to get yeah. down through there, especially if you're hauling a freighter down. Oh, that for sure. For sure. Um, what's really, really interesting about the fact that we get to see the internal workings of the Death Star yeah. is not only a huge change from, you know, how we defeated the first one, how we destroyed the first one, but to understand how vast this thing is. Like yes. when the Falcon flies into there, uh, how large that cavern is and to understand how and... big, you know, this space station is. I think it does a great job to provide you with a little bit more scale yeah. that we hadn't seen previous and again it's mind-boggling to watch this big ship mm -hmm. flying through these cavernous like ductworks mm -hmm. and superstructure and it takes them like a couple of minutes to go from the outside to the inside yes it's just giving you an idea of it's big it's yeah. real big yeah um and and i think one of the most beautiful uh shots is when they go through all that. They're going through the tunnel. It's really bad. And then they pop out into the energy reaction chamber and the energy reaction chamber, like, like the entire continent of America could fit inside. Yeah. Of it. It's a gargantuan, massive space Yeah, with this beautiful little, like, you know, two towers touching each other and causing the reaction in between them. Yeah. Uh, and this is the, I mean, essentially what generates power for the Death Star, right? right. That's what we're looking at here. Yeah, the yeah. power core of it, because yeah. what, because wedge goes up and basically breaks up, breaks down this like regulator that's basically making sure that that energy transfer and generation is safe and controlled, and then then all the you know Falcon needs to do is just shoot a few things into the middle of the core core while it's not able to regulate itself, and the whole thing just starts ripping itself apart because you shouldn't have been able to get here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's actually there's a fun thought that like. There's probably one of these in the middle of the Death Star, and this is what the proton torpedo hit. I would imagine, yeah. I think that's what we're led to believe, right? I mean, that's how I interpreted it anyway. And then there's this great thing of Wedge and, and Lando and Nub, and they're all like, hey, yeah, we did it. Oh, it's starting on fire. We need we need oh, to go. Yeah, we yeah. need to okay. go. And we have that whole superstructure, but now it's outrunning fire. Yeah, <laughs> what's more terrifying, TIE fighters or fire? You assume the Falcon could survive in fire for a few seconds. You, f you hope your deflector shields would do a little yeah. bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, and there's all these TIE interceptors and stuff that chase them down. And, like, those things aren't navigating. How are you going to get the Falcon <laughs> through this thing? Uh, do you think that when you're flying through that section, you know, when, when they're flying through all that? The superstructure, all, yeah, yeah, all the structure of the Death Star. Do you think one of the reasons why that's so enjoyable is because you get to do something similar at the end of Shadows of the Empire? You can, well, it. it I think it depends on when you, you sun up. I think, it, yeah. I think in 83 it was good because one of the things that had really changed by the time they got to 83 technology-wise was they could do a lot of stuff. Like mm -hmm. So the Battle of Endor is a very busy fight compared to anything yes. that happened before. Yeah. And they also had really gotten a lot of that optical, they call it stargating, where it makes it look like you're traveling through multiple planes or mm -hmm. something. They got really fast with that. So I don't know if there's any piece of footage pre-83 that feels that 
fast and yeah. claustrophobic. Yeah. So I think that really, really messed with kids. Now, if you're a kid of the early 90s yeah. and you play Super Return of the Jedi, you have an absolute disgusting hatred of this thing because <laughs> those levels are almost not hum human beatable. Uh, I have never played it. And then if you played Shadows, yeah. um, you have a slightly more positive view of it as you're you're talking about like when you run into the sky hook. Yeah. So at the very, that very last level, that was always the thing. Like for me as a kid, mm -hmm. that was flying through the death star. Like yeah. playing that, that was the level I look forward getting to the most because wow, I am now into the death star. I am doing what Lando did. I'm going into a structure. Yes. Shooting some things and leaving. And that's what it the felt sky like. Hooks a space yeah. station. So exactly. It's, it's Yeah. So you get that same feeling and vibe. And for me, that's what I think of every time I'm watching that stuff mm -hmm. in the Death Star 2 is that game. Yeah, I, I had played um, especially like the um, Rebel Assault games mm -hmm. by that point, And I already had a love-hate relationship with those types of escape the level. Yeah. Like, eventually we figured out how to do them. Like Crash Bandicoot is basically one of those where he's running yeah. at the screen. And like yeah. that can be enjoyable. But like oh, those levels are just hard. They're just really hard. <laughs> Like, you get an idea of, like, yeah, if I was Lando, I totally would have broken the satellite dish off, too. Yeah, you're lucky he didn't break more off. Oh, my gosh. You know he what? He breaks out off like the needles. satellite dish, right? Yeah. But that's actually the deflector shield. So does that mean they don't have shields from that point on? Oh. That's... Good point. I, I don't know if the kids who wrote the movie were thinking that, but the technical journal people say that that... Is dish. that really? That's the shield generator? Yeah, that I dish is that. what creates the, uh, it's the deflector shield. Um, hmm. I believe, it, yeah, I guess it's the generator. Um, or at least it's it's what probably controls oh. its field. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's for the deflector shield. I know that for sure. Well, the more you know. The more you know. Uh, Which, actually well. speaking, that's a feature of the Death Star 2 that we should mention is this one doesn't have a shield yet. That's why it's using a installation on the planet to generate its shield because they don't have the shield generation or rays or whatever built onto the ship yet. Yeah. Now, when the Death Star 2 fires its laser, do they yeah. have to shut off the shield to fire that laser? That's a very good question. I want to say no. I mean, they don't make any reference say, to doing so. I, I want to say in Star Wars technology, I don't think they have that particular particular technological limit. And I think the reason is because Star Wars has talked about their shields as being very malleable. Yeah. Um, like, so, like, I mean, an X-Wing doesn't have to drop its shields to yeah. shoot. The Falcon doesn't have to drop it. It's got those quad laser cannons. Yeah. So I could see that, like, well, maybe it does, but maybe the shield just sort of cinches down on that part of the mm -hmm. ship. Like, so, hey, we're going to fire the deflector shield. Like, awesome. We'll just, we'll open up a space just mm -hmm. around the, the super laser array or mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I mean, obviously, actually, I, I have that, no Star idea. Star Wars definitely does not need that. They fire the ion cannon through a planetary shield. Uh, so I, I don't I don't think it cares. Yeah. I think that charged... I, I think the shields are kind of like we saw in episode one, where if you punch the right thing through them, they're allowed to just go through. It only is it able to stop... A specific type of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good question, though. It's very interesting. Yes, that's not my area of expertise at all. And, but and one last thing mm. I just want to mention about that's really cool, and this is technically sort of off the books because we never see it in the film, but I love that both Death Stars have Star Destroyer repair bays in them. <laughs> 
And I believe the Death Star 2 has a super a star dreadnought repair bay. So, I mean, and you can see when the executor crashes into the Death Star 2. Oh, my God. Goodness, the Death Star is mind-bogglingly large. Yeah. It is like a planet. Yeah. Because the executor is city-sized, and it just sort of, like, plinks off the armor. <laughs> like, it doesn't really do that much crazy damage. Unless you're working in that section of the Death Star. Then, then you're having a bad oh, day. Oh, you're, you're having a horrible day. Yeah, yeah. The whole roof's caving in. You can just go, like, is coming hey, in. we got the planetary shields going. Okay, <laughs> listen. They ain't ever penetrating this hall. We're five decks in. It would take Star Destroyer Bow just crashes <laughs> through that through that quarter. Well, that's <laughs> can't get any worse, at least. Yeah. Mm. Uh, All right. So here I have some random facts about the Death Star Two, and I'm okay. gonna ask them to you, and we'll <laughs> okay. see if you get them. Okay. All right. How many heavy turbo laser batteries? Um, Do you think the Death Star has? I'm going to say that it's a five-digit number. I'm going to go with 25,000. It is a five-digit number, uh, 10,000. Oh, less than I thought. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. Heavy turbo laser batteries, 10,000. Turret-mounted twin light turbo laser batteries, 10,000. Add so those together. It's around 30,000. I'm still wrong, but I'm less stronger. Uh, 3,500 ion cannons. Good. Battle, sorry, battleship ion cannons, seventy five hundred turret mountain turret mounted twin medium ion batteries. This is getting out of hand now. Turret mounted light ion cannons. All right, let's get to how so, many so starfighters. Cannons are the things that knock out. Sure, shit. sure. So no, they have I'm familiar. Battleship with that. size yeah. ones. They have like corvette and frigate size ones, and then they've got star starfighter batteries. Okay, how about this? How many tractor beam emitters? Oh my god. Uh, two thousand. Two thousand four hundred forty. I guess they have less repair bays than I think. <laughs> All right, let's let's get over to some of their other compliments. Uh, how about starfighters? How many starfighters does the Death Star hold? Oh my gosh, uh, I'm gonna say that it has starfighters. Specifically, how yeah. many fighters? I'm the same, like because I'd probably say it has about like 30 squads. So squads like maybe six fighters. So uh, I'll just round up 250. Uh, 4200. 4,200? And 2,400 shuttles. Wow. 200 AT-Series walkers, 75 landing craft. Now, all of this, just so you know, is coming from different role-playing books that are new well, in canon. Yeah, I think the one thing is, as we got to Rogue One and we got a lot better infrastructure, like, now that we know what drops AT-ATs, which is AT haulers, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to guess they probably have more than 75 of those, because it's like one per AT-AT. Mm, yeah, um, that could be. I think those. Landing I mean, how often do you see more than like a half dozen going at one time, though? Well, true. Well, yeah, yeah but I, I'd also think that we also have the Imperial assault craft, the Imperial, mm -hmm. the Imperial troop carrier. Like, we we have more in more ways of getting <laughs> stuff down there. Ever since the Clone Wars gave us, hey, you know what's cool? These like yeah. space helicopters that make you remind you of like Vietnam. Those are cool. Let's have those. <laughs> the Empire should have those too. The rebels need them too. It's called the U-wing. Um, <laughs> uh, isn't that well? Oh, we're not going to get yeah, on yeah. a U-wing tangent. I, if you're going to the numbers, I know one number I want to know, which is crew complement. Yes, that is the big one, and I was saving it for last. So, uh, 
Let me pull a source on this before I read the number. Okay, while you do that, I'm just going to Rogue One, so, Death Star Deluxe Book, and 3D so Wood is, Model. So this is a canon source. But so, this so is I just probably say, for Death Star 1. So mm. how many noble imperial citizens did those rebel terrorists kill? The estimate is somewhere around 1.2 million. Okay. And now that, according to this... So here's the thing. It says estimates range in the 1.2 million range, but then there's another tab for Navy and Army of 630,000. Let me see what the source is on Well, that. so the common thing that you usually saw in the old yeah. tech manuals would you have crew complement and then you'd have enlisted officers, civilian like and yeah. other. Yeah. So yeah. that's crazy if they've got 1.2 well, million people working on there that aren't Army or Navy? Dude, there's got to be janitors. There's yeah. got people running the maintenance bays that aren't necessarily Army Corps of Engineers. You've yeah. got the guys running the Cinnabon at the mall level. Like, I mean, uh, you've got all kinds of people. Other than there. some recreational stuff, though, I would assume a lot of it would be military. I mean, because you think about it. There are cooks in the military. There are... Listen, you're a project that big. you gotta you got to pull in a lot of independent Yeah, contracts. that's true. You can only ramp up the draft so quickly. I see. You think the Army and the Navy's got a whole bunch of certified plumbers? <laughs> no. And you saw that Death Star superstructure. There's all kind of pipes in there. Yes. Um, there are. Do you think they get clogged a lot? Do you think they... I mean, hell, they have, they have monsters... No, because if they have turbo lifts, I assume they have turbo toilets. So mm. I'm assuming that they're like, it's not flushing. Flush it again. And then just like an ion beam shoots through it. Like, <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Yeah. In Star Wars, they probably have the technology to just vaporize the waste. Yeah. Like, I just assume it goes to a chamber where like antimatter just bursts it into nothingness and whatever's left over just goes out through some exhaust. Mm -hmm. I could see that. Man, a futuristic toilet. I don't know. Just one modern marvel of the Death Star. I don't know, but I'm sure the legacy novels got into it. Since I learned out what the morning shows are on Coruscant, and I've learned what calf <laughs> is, and how you can get yeah. calf from different vendors on yep. Coruscant, yep. I'm sure that minutia is somewhere in legacy. Oh, it's there. We'll find it. Um, And let's just wrap this all up with... And the Rebels blow it up. So Han Solo and his crew boom, boom, boom. actually get the shield down. And now that mm -hmm, it's down, they mm -hmm, fly to the superstructure. Mm -hmm. Wedge blows up that control tower. They blow up the reactor. They all escape. Mm -hmm. And the Emperor overconfidently, uh, well, falls in a pit and then explodes. Yeah. And then he travels across the galaxy to some other place and gets reborn. But yep. the point is, <laughs> the, uh, the Death Star is absolutely destroyed now you would have thought that explosion would vaporize everything which we did um because there wasn't a rain of shearing metal falling down on endor but apparently years later it did um and ruined most of the ecosystem of endor because it's all like oceans and stuff now that's um, kifber and then that's a different planet it is yeah that's not remember there's the forest moon of endor and then there is kifber which is a another moon of endor i think i must have known that at one time but you did we've talked so, about it but again, so it floated across the solar system and crashed somewhere else. Well, it's in the same, yeah, solar it's in the system. same system. Same star system. Well, we don't know. The forest moon of Endor could be farther. We don't necessarily know. Well, I think we can assume that the forest moon of Endor is the closest planet because two things. One, you listen, can see it explode listen, listen, from listen, the, listen. wait, you can see it explode Why from the land. Why are you criticizing the guy that wrote no, Justice no, League? That's not, I'm not Why criticizing that. I'm actually, I'm just thinking it out. I'm like, we know the Endor has to be closer to be for two reasons. One, we can see it explode from there. 
That's step one. Two, they call it the they call it the Battle of Endor, not the Battle of Kifber. <laughs> Three, <laughs> we to be fair though, they call it the Battle of Endor. We never see Endor. That's true. We're talking about the star system, not necessarily the planet. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing about Kifber that that I think is is hard to understand is I'm staking my reputation on this. I better confirm it's Kifber. Um, I don't know. It's that's fine. You know what? It's all fine. All I need is someone to give me where. Where's Pablo Hidalgo? I need him to show me what the star system of Endor looks like. <laughs> And just show me that Kifber and Endor are on like crisscrossing <clears throat> orbits. Kifber designated IX three two four four C and known as the Ocean Moon of Endor, was an ocean moon orbiting the gas giant Endor in the Endor system. Nothing about its location, I don't think. But having said that. I'm sure there's a map in one of the books I have somewhere up in my office. I will check it out. So I will take back my statement. So it ends up on Kifber. <laughs> um, it's there long enough that someone can build a cool map on a knife. Uh-huh. Uh, and that also ends up being the resting place of some Sith artifacts that are eventually um, recovered. And then immediately destroyed. Yes. But I, that's fine. Yeah. No, I'm just. Yeah. The, the really, if there was anything really, really good there, the Emperor would have come back and picked it up earlier. Oh, he has one of his agents knows how to go there. He has a map knife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's known to him. I'm just well, like, to be fair, he's already on Exegol. So what if uh, his next apprentice needs that? Hmm. Maybe that's why I left it. And that's why he made the knife. Hmm. It's all the Death Star 2 is really the linchpin that just brings this whole thing together. It was it was Jar Jar in the prequels and it's the Death Star 2 in the sequels. Well, and, and again, it brings I, it all together. I, I know we're coming off as facetious. I'm not oh, no, trying to I, be that. It's just, it's literally, it, literally it is, is really interesting that, is. that the Death Star 2 is one of the most signature mm-hmm. pieces of Rise of Skywalker and it attaches right back to here. And, mm-hmm. and about the only thing about it that makes a lot of sense to me is like the Emperor's throne room surviving makes sense because it's on the North Pole. It's literally as far away from the reactor as you're going to get. Mm-hmm. I can understand how it got blown clear if you will and stayed semi intact um it's possible and it makes that return of the jedi sequence even cooler because his you know sith acolytes those priests and stuff that are hanging out with him they brought all his stuff on the shuttle and loaded it up in his room like how cool is that because you assume yeah. those Artifacts were brought here with the Emperor, yes. stuff he just keeps around him for whatever reason, and yeah. that the only reason they're still there is because he died, so he couldn't come back mm. and get it. You think he would have emptied the vault at, I, upon leaving the Death Star? I feel it's it's sort of akin to like the, the nuclear football that mm-hmm. it's always within a li- few feet of the president, just in That's case. That's fair. That's I, fair. I assume it's like, these are some of the Sith artifacts that, that the Emperor is either very, very crucial to him. Like maybe one of them's how he survives to go to Exegol is some Sith amplifier that allows him to go back. Mm-hmm. We, we will never know. Um, or they happen to be the Sith mysteries he's working on at that time. This sure. is like his his uh, his current project. His current project. Yeah. Yes. So um, either way, it's it's a fun wrinkle to know that when you're watching Return of the Jedi, that room is over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is full of that cool stuff. Yeah, building a. Uh... 
building the world just a little bit more. Yeah, that Luke could have gone in there and gotten to that Sith artifact, which we are now finding out is a common Sith artifact, which is a dark side place mirror where you can go and see what evil you would be. Because we've seen it with Cal Kestis. We've seen it with Ray twice. Oh, is that what happens in there? Well, yeah, she walks in and then she gets that vision of her dark side yeah. self. I didn't realize that it starts that with was... her seeing it. Oh, but I didn't realize there was an artifact doing that. I thought it was just a force vision brought on by the oh. uh, the the I, the the pyramid thing, the I just, the non holocron well, holocron, no, no. the what wayfinder. I'm, what I'm trying to say is, I, I feel that dark side places have that reflective quality to them if they've got the right energy. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. again, when it happens, we're not going to go into it deep, but when it happens to Calcastus, it's also in a place where. That shouldn't be there. Yeah. And last but not least, when Rey sees her family in Last Jedi, mm-hmm. when she sees her evil self in Rise of Skywalker, when Cal Kestis sees what his life would be as an Imperial, like, is any of that happening or is it just in their yeah. head? There's no way to tell mm-hmm. the way we're told through the story. So could have been the pyramid? Sure. Could have been just a mirror on the back wall that allowed her to focus on the dark side energies that are here. Could it be just she caught some smell of some incense that caused her brain to have a hallucination. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. either way, Luke could have went in there and had his own vision of that. And that's kind of a crazy thought. Yeah, it totally is. Whole different ending. Very different ending. But yeah, so the Death Star 2 is really cool. Yeah, it's, you know, when you brought this up as a topic, I never even considered in my mind thinking about the Death Star 2 and the Rise of Skywalker. It didn't cross super, my mind once. It's super in there. Uh, it's super in there. You're absolutely right. Wow. It didn't even, as I was researching, as I was thinking about it, I, it didn't even pop into my head once. It's when the prequels uh, acknowledge it because the prequels just skip it. I, yeah. I, sorry, sequel. Sequels, yeah, yeah I yeah. still, I'm sorry. It's such a tiny microscopic God. pet peeve, but it does like, here's the Death Star 1, here's Starkiller Base. I'm like, you know, there were like 16 people at the Battle yeah. of the Death Star. Show the Death Star 2. Akbar was there for that. <laughs> Like most of you people are not familiar with the first, the battle of Yavin, but you all know the battle yeah. of Endor. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Weird choice. And now that I'm really thinking about it, really, really interesting for JJ to choose to put both death stars in each of his, you know, a death yeah, star in each get, of his movies. They both get nods. Yeah. Uh, interesting choice. Interesting, interesting, interesting choice. Ready to move on to something else? Yeah, I think so. General Nadine. We have stolen a small Imperial shuttle. Disguised as a cargo ship and using a secret Imperial code, a strike team will land on the moon and deactivate the shield generator. Sounds dangerous. I wonder who they found to pull that off. General Solo, is your strike team assembled? Who names their kid Cricks? Who, what? What? Cool Cricks? Remember, this is a universe Cricks? where kids, at least two characters have been named Mace. That's true. And that is a good name. That's a good name. That's, I could see Mace before Cricks. Here's my thing. You say Cricks, and you're like, I don't know what kind of name that is. You're like, he's a commando. Well, that's a good name for Oh, yeah, 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 it no. fits. It fits. And anything with an X is a pretty good name for, for someone who's mm-hmm. doing some, some mm-hmm. wet work. Mm-hmm. Have you seen his bangs? They're quite nice. He has a powerful haircut. <laughs> so we are talking to Cric- about Cricks Madine. I, I will apologize ahead of time. I have a bad childhood connection to calling him nadine for some mm-hmm, reason mm-hmm. so if i say nadine i meant mating so he knows um he knows so we meet crick's Madine, and he is presented as a strategic 
uh, rebel leader. Yeah, we see him as a commander, right? Like, that's what we think. We think of this as a leader. This is someone leading yeah. a battle. Yeah, because Mimothma is like General Nadine. Yeah. And, base- Nadine, and asks <laughs> him to basically kind of go over what the what the problems are to defeating the Death Star mm-hmm. 2. And his main focus, you can just tell the way he talks, is like, the biggest thing is we need to go take out the shield generator with a small team. We think we can do that. And they're like, who's going to do that? General Solo, is your team assembled? And, and he's like... Uh, yeah, my team's good, but the command shuttle and I love Leia's like, you, you're doing this suicide mission? Yeah, no, I want to see this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we get the idea that Maydeen is, um, has obviously somewhere between Hoth and here has been doing a lot. Yes, he is not only now, I mean, Mon Mothma is addressing him directly saying, hey, this is the guy who's going to give you the last bit of important information before you go on this like last stand of a mission, the biggest thing the Rebel Alliance has ever undertaken. <laughs> and uh, we're going to turn it over to this guy with crazy bangs. Yeah, it's very much like, so as you all know, if we mm-hmm. fail this mission, the entire rebellion will fall. The Empire yeah. will rule forever, yeah. and yeah. all beings will suffer in the yeah. galaxy. So for the other half of my keynote, <laughs> Mr. Crix. <laughs> and all of this is taking place in, like, the coolest briefing room ever aboard the Home One. Uh, just absolutely gorgeous. This, like, white-on-white, white, like, stadium seating. and That's what yeah. you get for my, my Zoom background. Oh, that would be good. Is, I could is, see that. Is the, I could the see rebel that. Re- briefing room yeah. with a nice hollow table. Yeah. Um, so Crix, this is the only time we see him in film and he's basically being a tactical analytics guy. I mean, that's what he's being here now, the character. And this basically is coming just from different source books and things. He doesn't really have too many other appearances. I'll talk about a few of them here in a second. Um, he starts his life early Mm -hmm. working for the Imperials. Yeah, he's he's basically pulled up on Corellia and ends up being an Imperial soldier. Another Corellian. Yeah, just for the universe Detroit. is full of them. Um, yes, he is. As you and, call and it, unlike Space Han Solo, Detroit. I don't think he yeah. ever goes back. Uh, At least not in canon. Mm, fair enough. Yeah. So Crix is yeah. a, a Imperial soldier, mm-hmm. and kind of the crux, and this this is kind of stitching and making canon some legends content is. Crix becomes disillusioned with the the yeah. Empire as he goes. He's working doesn't like it. He's working for command commando and like espionage for mm-hmm. the Empire, and that means he's seen the really nasty side of the Empire, and sometimes maybe get his hands dirty with it. And he becomes disillusioned, and he wants to defect. Yeah, and he is able to. Mm-hmm. And we the thing about this character that's interesting is we don't really see him a lot. Like most of the rebellion leadership and commanders, you know, other than our heroes who we spend a little bit of time with, we really, you know, Leia is our Avenue to that. Mm -hmm. And Mon Mothma is probably the character we feel like we see the most, even though we don't, you know, and and while Crix kind of seems like maybe the most important person we've seen in the army, Mm -hmm. you know, Akbar is the face of the Navy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know because we're really seeing them both here for the first time. I mean, did you? I as a kid, I definitely didn't interpret him to be the army guy versus the navy guy. Although that's very much what's happening in the mission. Well, it's mostly because it seems like he is more like Akbar's got the fleet. They're yeah. going to hold and pen in the the Imperials. That's the plan. Once the shield generator drops, is Akbar's team will go into the superstructure, blow it up. Mm-hmm. It seems like like Medine's whole job is to basically. 
take care of the squad that's going to go down. And I yes. think one of the reasons he's talking and delivering most of this is because he ends with General Solar. One of the parts of this briefing is, are you ready? Yeah. I don't have to ask Akbar. He, the Navy might have already had its meeting yeah. and figured out what they need to do strategy-wise. So that's that's one of the reasons I feel Maydeen is mm. not the leader of the rebellion army, but because this mission is yeah. basically just a team of 30 people, you yeah. know, 15 people going down and taking out this base. I assume he's, he's orchestrating this mission. He's planning it. He's researching sure. it. He's training the team. He's picking the guys. And then Han is the one who's going to do the on the ground leadership, the field for, commander. For lack of a better term, the impression I always got from Crix Maydeen is, hi, I'm in charge of special ops for the rebellion, at least by the time of the Battle of Endor. My yeah. job is spec ops. I put the people together that go do, you know, SEAL Team 6 stuff for the rebels. Mm -hmm. Which is why one of the only other canon places we've seen him is he has interactions with the remains of Inferno Squad once they've gone turncoat and help bring down Operation Cinder in Battlefront 2. Yes, yes. He pops up there for a moment. Um, we also do just, I want to point out chronologically, mm -hmm. we do see him in one of the young reader Star Wars books, uh, Moving Target, which are those, if you remember those books that came out that had like the black and red covers, mm -hmm. uh, the cover theme. There was one for each of the uh, original trilogy heroes. And uh, basically that whole book is about, hey, we know about the second Death Star. We know the Emperor is going to be there. We're going to try and come up with this plan. And Leia meets with Mon Mothma and Crix, and they try and come up with this plan of, okay, we are going to go create a distraction in the other side of the universe, so that way we can rendezvous the fleet at Sullust mm -hmm. and plan this attack. And that mission, you know, basically the only time we see Crix here is, well, okay, I want to go on this mission with you. And they're basically saying, no, you're too important. You have to plan mm -hmm. the attack. And that mission is where they end up getting the shuttle Tiderium from. Ah, the shuttle that okay. they're about to take down to the planet. Yeah, the the infiltration vehicle for the mission. Yeah. Yeah. So those are really the only times he pops up. Yeah, and there's a lot more of him in Legends content. He yeah. shows up in Dark Forces. He shows up in actually a lot of stuff. And again, that's probably where I've got this thick impression of like, hey, I have a wet work special mission and I'm going to give it to you because, well, I'm the guy. <laughs> um, and like I said, he's less prominent in canon, but... Um, Cool guy. Interesting look. Um, like you said, he's got very powerful bangs. Um, <laughs> but also, again, nice to have, I guess, sort of a, J a Jan Dodonna. Like, here's another military leader to show you how diversified and how many, how big the rebellions got in that they have more than a couple of generals now. Yeah, they have a full-scale army. I mean, this is this is efficiency. This is basically them saying we are a professional operation and um well, they're not just, you know, guerrilla warriors anymore even though they are uh, only using a small team to do this infiltration here. They got this. They got this. All right. I think we have one more Return of the Jedi theme topic, don't we? We do. Let's get to it.
Many Bothans died to get the Death Star 2 plans, which begs the question, what the heck is a Bothan? Well, <laughs> if we're going off of what is in current canon, mm-hmm. that is pretty much the only mention we have of them. We have no idea what they look like. Um, we don't really know where they hail from. We uh, we don't know a whole lot about Bothans in current Star Wars, other than that one line. So, what I'm going to do is, when someone loves a Bothan very, very much, yeah. they will come into and dredge up some legend stunt content and attach <laughs> it, because Bothans for many, many years have been a species of humanoid, yes. dog-like people. Yeah, it's a good way to describe them. Now, un- unlike Chewie, not vaguely dog-like. They're dog, like they have muzzles mm-hmm. and they, they have their bipedal yeah. dogs. Also not like Latunian Raiders either. They're different <laughs> than those dog people, so yes. not like that. These are very, very furry. They got a nice coat. They're yeah. almost like a, a, I don't know, what do you call it? Like an English terrier species. <laughs> um, sure. And. And the main thing about Bothans that we we knew was they were renowned for how dexterous and agile they were, mm-hmm. which is why they ended up often as spies. Yeah. Spies and politicians. Yes, because they were able to kind of carry that duplicity, mm-hmm. to be very deft and quick and and get in and out of places, breaking and entering. Their biology was helpful for that. Mm-hmm. As well as, like I said, being able to keep like parallel sets of information like spy masters do. Now, in Legends, as you say, there definitely are a lot more Bothan moments. One of the most notable Bothan characters uh, and kind of my, where my mind goes when I think Bothan, uh, Bors Fela. He was yep. a uh, politician and then eventually chancellor of the New Republic. Um, most notably, if my memory serves, during yeah. like the New Jedi Order era, era is uh, where I believe I remember reading the most about him. But he was a character who came up and... Um, well, had some good, some bad, but was a very prominent Bothan character in the story. Which is why I feel fairly fine confirming that, yes, in canon, there'll be dog people. All the other de- details might get rearranged because, mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell Bothans came from that very common era of like, well, what's the only Bothans we ever heard of? These spies. They must all be spies then. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does you, feel that cause, way cause for sure. That's how that's how fandom generally yeah. works is yeah. you pick that person and you go, they must all be like that. Yes. And it's like, no, no. When you see like Cad Bane, like, no, he's the exception for Duros. Duros usually <laughs> don't know. They're not like that. Um, Chewie. No, no, actually, all the Wookiees are pretty much like him. Never mind. <laughs> um, so, again, it'll be interesting to see Bothans. I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if, like, High Republic and some of these other stories. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? That we will eventually, if Star Wars keeps going, yeah. Bothans will re-enter canon at some point. I think that would be nice. You know, in uh, what I remember, the other thing I remember about Bothans, besides some legends, uh, Bors Fela, is uh, in Battlefront 2-1, they could turn invisible. You could play as a Bothan and you could turn invisible. Were they supposed to actually be turning invisible, or was the or was the thing that they're so stealthy they, they that could... was their power up? That was like a move they had was literally I, turning invisible. I don't think they have predator powers to actually become invisible. Hey, maybe. but they could. Wait, we haven't said Battlefront two, old Battlefront two, Battlefront two one. Yeah, not okay. Battlefront two two. Sorry, yeah, battle two f- comma one. Battlefront two thousand five. Yes, Battlefront. Yeah, you're good. Six two thousand six. No, 
Did oh, it come out? I don't it know. It came out right around Revenge of the Sith because that's where yeah. I got on board with Operation Nightfall is after losing yeah. that in the single-player campaign. I'm like, no, the Jedis do need to die. They're really hard to kill, and they're <laughs> killing all my friends and my brothers, and I keep uh, losing this mission. God, that game is good. Um, so anyway, um, that's Bothans. Bothans. One day there'll be more, and we'll be back. We'll be back to talk. We'll circle back to this. More one. Bothans. Until yeah. then, many die getting you this report. I think we can blow this one and go home. Oh, boy, boy, boy. I What a fun... So I got to watch Return of the Jedi last night, you know, in preparation. It's one of the nice excuses. Uh, like, I got to do some research. Yeah. I'm going to go watch Star Wars again. Yeah. For, I, well, for, for work. To clarify, I did fall asleep in my recliner watching Return of the Jedi, but I made it pretty far. We we were at the shield. Like, we were battling outside the shield generator, so I was pretty deep into you, it. You know where... I you know where it's the, going from you here. You got to the precedent yeah. parts for this yeah. research. I anyway. should have skipped Jabba's Palace. Like, for my purposes, I should have just started it after Dagobah. But I couldn't. I couldn't. How can you skip Jabba's Palace? It's the best part. I have no excuse because I can, but that's because I've watched it too know, many times. I know. I know. I wish if I had one. Well, that's not true. But I wish <laughs> I had the ability to just, like, know how many times I've watched a specific movie. That would be a cool like, magic That trick. would be a cool superpower for sure. Not the best superpower, because obviously the best superpower is the ability to teleport. And whenever you teleport, you automatically heal your body from any injuries or uh, sicknesses. And also you can teleport anything you're touching with you. Uh, that's clearly the Did best you like superpower. Jumper? You seem like a person like Jumper. You know what? Jumper, I do <laughs> own it on iTunes. And I have watched it many times. It has been a number of years since I've watched Jumper. That's a movie that really should have gotten a sequel. That, yes. I'm kind of glad it didn't because it's also a very good one and done. Like yeah. the story is very nice. Yeah. That's a movie that you like when you read on paper, like what a weird yeah. cash tra- grab. And then when you watch it, it's like, yeah. this is a fairly charming movie yeah. of, it's simple, but it's it's a really well-structured, fun little film. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, any fun little low budget, not based on a property superhero stuff is going to be fun, I think. Yeah. Um, Jumper. Maybe I'll watch Jumper tonight. I'm <laughs> off tomorrow. Maybe I'll watch Jumper. I was going to watch Star Wars, but maybe I'll watch Jumper. All right. Well, he's got to go save his friends because people are um, falling asleep here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Don't yeah. don't fall asleep during it, though. Please, don't fall asleep. I, I mean, it is... Uh, 9 p.m. local time, so it's not and, too late. And I'll be honest, you might think that we're talking about Jumper and like, well, why the hell? They, this is a Star Wars podcast. Hayden Christensen, mm-hmm. Anakin Skywalker himself, is the Jumper in Jumper. His so starring role after Revenge of the Sith. I think his the, first starring role. That's probably right. The that only like other movie I can naturally say I've seen him in without like seeking it out. He was in a movie called Awake. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but the premise is like, he's like, awake during surgery like his anesthesia didn't work but he can't move or react to it uh and i think that was like a 2008-ish one like a great uh, movie I never terrence have to watch. howard is in it and 
Jessica Alba, maybe? It's been a while, but that was another one. I don't know if I, I owned it on DVD. I don't know if I own it currently in any way. Um, and then there was a movie called Takers, I think he was in, with Paul Walker. That sounds... Like 2010-ish. I, I, I sort of remember um, that. That I know I saw, but I don't remember it well. I think he dies in it. Sorry, spoilers for that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so... Hey! Um, I don't know. Has he been in anything else lately? I, I, I feel like there was like a... Like, I remember seeing he was well, in like a... Every time I see like this... Like some rom-com. Every, what was it? Every time I go, what are they doing? I always go, they're probably doing theater. Like almost every actor, when I can't find them, that's what they're doing. They're on theater stuff. Yeah. Um. Like yeah. Ewan McGregor drops off the grid for a while. He's never yeah. not working. It's just he's not working in things you can yeah. see. Did you know Ewan McGregor just put is is in? He has an Apple TV Plus series about riding motorcycles across the world. I knew he was a real big <laughs> motorcycle guy. Because I know been that's one of the to reason... tell you this for like a week, and we haven't seen each other. And I just found out about this. There's an Apple TV Plus series where he rides. It's like a documentary, and he rides motorcycles with other people. That's I'm gonna watch it. That's, that's what I'm fun. gonna do tonight. I'm gonna watch you and ride a motorcycle. I think it's out. That's fine. By the way, uh, Hayden Christensen. Um, yeah. he is in Star Wars Episode <laughs> Nine. Oh, Skywalker as a voice. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He's also in 2019, The Last Man. 2018, Little Italy. 2017, oh. First Kill. 2015, 90 Minutes of Heaven. 2014, Outcast. 2014, American Heist. Quantum Quest. The Cassini Jeez. Space Odyssey. Um, Vanishing on Seventh Street, and then we're back to Takers and Jumper in 2008. So it's been a minute uh, since so I've seen his recent work. He's works. basically had steady work all yeah. the way through there, but they've all been movies we just haven't had. Some of those, I think, so the quality has gone down a little bit. Well, when you start with when you start with Star Wars, do you, you think he really still go... makes enough money off of Star Wars to not have to work? I have no idea what actors contracts looked like in 1999. Uh, I'm assuming he probably had a really good well, tra- contract by the time you get to 3. Yeah. By Revenge of the Sith, I'm assuming Hayden got a fairly good deal. Yeah. Especially but do you think he's he getting residuals? So do you think he's getting money still is what I'm saying? I'm sure at the time, I mean, yes, but do you think I, they still? I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I don't know this either. way. I know he must apparently like it because, again, he came and recorded the one line for the... <laughs> yeah, he was at Celebration. Yeah. Oh, my God. And people adored him. Uh-huh. It was so nice. Huh. It was just so nice to see. All, I mean, all these rumors involved. that he'll be in the Kenobi series, which is great. Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it too. Let's get Hayden an Oscar, or no, an Emmy. That would be the thing, let's, right? <laughs> let's get Hayden some Disney Plus work, and we'll we'll go yeah. up from there. Yeah, let's start small. The star of Higher Ground deserves to be in a TV show again. He does. He does. All right, Mac. Um, we've this has been a fun edition of the Hayden Christensen movie podcast. Can you tell we're a little tired recording this one? It's, it's I feel been a day. I feel great. I just had a hot apple cider. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Um, it was very delicious. Mott's we, apple uh, cider available in K cups now. They're very nice. Yeah. <laughs> You're a great host. Thank you. I try to be. All right. Um, say the line. What? Say, oh. the, say the line. All say right. The... Well, hi, I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday. May the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only.
other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.